Good morning. It's great to see everyone out. This morning we're going to study a little bit about the baptism of Jesus. And when we think about the baptism of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus is not just a side note in the life of Jesus. It's an event that can produce a great faith in us as we look to Jesus' example in that. In the beginning, when we think about Jesus in his ministry, this is the beginning of his ministry. This is the start of it. And what it does is it shows a willingness of Jesus to submit to the will of God, the Father. It shows his submission in that. And what we see is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit converge together here in this event, showing God's stamp of approval on the ministry of Jesus Christ. But when we look at the baptism of Jesus, it raises a few questions for us. A few questions that I hope that we can answer, that we can address Things like, who was John? Why was John the one that was to baptize the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Why did Jesus need to be baptized in the first place? And how does that apply to us today? So these are all questions that I hope that we can shed light on as we look through Scripture this morning. And as we begin, I want to start in Luke chapter 1, as we see a time prior to the birth of Jesus Christ and prior to the birth of John. And we see that Zechariah who is John's father, is, is, is approached by an angel, comes into contact with this angel of the Lord. And the angel has a message for, for Zechariah. And he says, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name this son John. And this is kind of reminiscent to Abraham and Sarah. They, they were older in age. They, she was barren. So this is, I mean, it's amazing in itself. But he says, you're going to have this son, you're going to name him Zechariah. But we see that John is going to be different. We see that in verse 15. It says, he says, for he will be great before the Lord. And then it goes on. It says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And if you continue to read on in this chapter, you're going to see that the first time that John and Jesus actually come into contact with each other is in the wombs of their mothers. But John recognizes he is in the presence of the Son of God. It says he leaps within her womb. Not only that, in the next verse, we see that John has a purpose. In John chapter, in, in this same chapter, in verse 16, it says, And he will, turn away, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You see, John's purpose was to let the Jews at that time know that Jesus was here, that he was about to begin his ministry. He was pointing to Jesus Christ. These Jews, no doubt, understood and knew the prophecies of this Messiah that was to come. And now John is saying, the time is at hand. Jesus is here. That was his purpose. And what a great purpose that is. Now, as we continue on looking at the life of John, as John gets older, he begins this ministry and we see in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then you skip down to verse 6, it says, And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John had a message. John had a purpose. Jesus is here. It's time to change. Things are going to be different. And he's calling on these Jews to make that change to start thinking of Jesus Christ. Again, John's purpose was important. 
as we continue on, we see that not everybody was on board with this. As John is preaching here in Matthew chapter 3, we see that the Pharisees and Sadducees come and and look. And, And we think about who the Pharisees and Sadducees were. They were the religious elite at the time. They knew Scripture. They were looked up to. And then you have this man, John, who's kind of this unkept guy. He's not the typical religious person that you would think of. And he's coming and he's speaking of these things that are brand new. He's speaking of this idea that the Messiah has come, that Jesus Christ is here. And they didn't like that. You know, the the Jews at the time had heard of the miracles that surrounded the birth of John himself. They had heard of those things, and they were listening to what he was saying. And these Pharisees and Sadducees aren't there to listen. They aren't there to listen with an open heart. They're there to see if they can figure out a way to get rid of this guy. Why? Because, again, they had this status where people looked up to them, and now this guy is coming and saying, hey, things are changing. Things are going to be different. And they didn't like that. Their authority was being challenged. Their power was being taken away from them. And John calls them out and he says, you brood of vipers. In verse 10, he says, even now the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Essentially, what he tells them is it doesn't matter your lineage. It doesn't matter that you're, you're part of the children of Israel. That does not matter anymore. What's important now is Jesus Christ. That's what's important. We see in Luke chapter 16 and verse 16, it says the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. You see, John is pointing to Jesus Christ who is about to establish that kingdom. John's job, John's purpose was important and essential. So as we continue to go on, We see that John also understands that his ministry is temporary. What he's doing at this time is not something that is going to last. In verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He says, there is something better coming, and that's Jesus Christ. But he also understands that it's temporary. What he is doing is temporary. Because his job is to point to Christ. When Jesus Christ comes, when Jesus Christ fulfills those prophecies, when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, is buried, and is resurrected, that change will be made. It's temporary. So he's pointing to Christ. Now in the same chapter, we see Jesus approaches John. In verse 13, it says, Then then Jesus came from Galilee to to the Jordan to John and baptized to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized of you. Why do you come to me? Seems like a valid question, doesn't it? John, whose whole purpose is Jesus Christ, has that purpose standing in front of him saying, I want to be a part of this. I need you to baptize me. And John says, I I should be baptized by you. You need to to be baptizing me. But Jesus makes a, a statement in response to that in the very next verse. He says, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is filling to fulfill all righteousness. 
Jesus says, the reason I'm here is to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? To fulfill all righteousness means that Jesus was there to fulfill the word of God, the will of God. You see, Jesus was a man. He was subject to the law. He was subject to the rules. And this was one of those rules. And it says that John consented. Going on, we see that this is approved by God. In verse 16, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God's approval was on this event. Again, it's not just some side note. This is the beginning of a ministry of Jesus Christ that would lead to his death, burial, and resurrection, which we completely base our faith on today. What an amazing event. But still, it raises some questions for us, right? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? What was the purpose in that? Why was he needing to be baptized? And I think we can see that in Scripture. First, I want to look back at John's baptism for just a minute. When we go to Luke chapter 3 and verse 4, speaking of this baptism, it says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight. So again, John's purpose. I want to make that clear. John's purpose was to point to Jesus Christ. Going on, if you look at the previous verse, Luke chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So this was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Well, Jesus Christ was the man with no sin. We see in 1 Peter 1 and verse 8 and many other verses like this, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus Christ was sinless. So why does Jesus Christ need to take part in a baptism that's for repentance and for the forgiveness of sin? The reason is, is because this baptism of John at that time was not just a suggestion. It was a commandment. And I think we can see that through Scripture. If you look over at Luke chapter 7, in verse 24, Jesus here is talking. And he's talking about John. And he's confirming that, G, that John is his messenger. He says, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He says, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Essentially, this man doesn't look like all those other religious elite, does he? He says, what did you expect to see when you went out there? In verse 26, he says, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he whom it is written before. I send my messenger before your face who will pre prepare the way before you. He says, that's my messenger. He has a message for you. Apparently, these people saw John and didn't get what they expected to get, did they? And it seems like they possibly had rejected that baptism. But once Jesus had explained that and talked about that in verse 29, it says, When all the people heard this and the tax collector too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. 
Now, here's the verse I want us to look at in verse 30. It says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. If you look at the King James Version, it says they rejected the counsel of God. They rejected the commandment of God. This was more than a suggestion. This was a commandment. So therefore, if Jesus rejected this, wouldn't that be a sin? If you look at James chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If Jesus failed to take part in this commandment, in this baptism of John at this time, he would have committed sin. And he would no longer have been that perfect sacrifice that we needed. This was important. This was an important event, wasn't it? But yet he did it. He did it to fulfill all righteousness. To submit to the will of God. You see, John pointed out that Jesus was going to bring a better way. That was his whole purpose. And through his baptism, we would see that that ministry would begin. The ministry of Jesus Christ that would allow us to be forgiven of our sins. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Speaking of John again. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This one was a hard one for me. What does it mean to be baptized of the Holy Spirit and fire? Well, you look at Acts chapter 238, the day of Pentecost. As all of these Jews has come together, they say, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And at the end of his statement, he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean by fire? I think we get the answer in the very next verse. In verse 12, he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Holy Spirit and fire. Essentially, the New Testament baptism that's going to be brought about by Jesus Christ was important. It was important. It was something that we must do. It is essential. And we have a choice in that. Are we going to be obedient to that? Are we going to be buried with him in the grave of baptism? Or are we going to make the choice not to? And are we going to become that chaff? It was essential. It's something that we must do. And that's the gospel we preach today. We hear the word of God. We believe it. We repent and we turn our lives. We confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God and we're buried with him in baptism and we raise to walk in newness of life. So as we look at what we've talked about so far this morning, we see two different baptisms. We see a baptism of John and we see this New Testament baptism that was going to be brought about through that ministry of Jesus Christ. So this morning, for just a minute, I want to look at the, some similarities and differences in these two baptisms. I've got this chart, and hopefully you can read it. I tried to make it as big as possible and still fit it all on the board. Uh, but Craig gave me this several years back, but I think it's a great, a great visual of the similarities and differences between these two baptisms. So I want to go through that real quick, and we're going to start with the similarities between these two. And the first similarity that I want us to understand is that they both required a faith in God. When you look at John's baptism, it says in Acts chapter 13 and 24, it says, Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. 
When you look at New Testament baptism in Romans 1 and verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. While this does require a faith in God, who that was available to was a little bit different, wasn't it? When we look at John's baptism, that was specifically for the Jews of the time to point towards Christ. When we see this New Testament baptism, what we see is a ministry that's available to everyone. What we see is a life-saving, cleansing blood that's available to everyone. It does not discriminate. And in this similarity, there is a difference. Another similarity that we see is that they both required repentance. John's baptism required repentance. Mark 1 and verse 4, it says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance was required. These Jews who had lived under the old law are about to go through a change, right? And John's here pointing the way to Jesus Christ. They needed to change some things. They needed to dedicate their lives to Jesus Christ, who was about to come, who was about to give everything for them. The New Testament baptism is no different. On the day of Pentecost, again, as we've, we've mentioned here, Peter is speaking to these Jews, and, he's, and, and he says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. So again, we see that idea of repentance, that idea of our life changing, no longer being our own, but now dedicated to God, dedicated to Jesus Christ. Another similarity that we see is that they both required water. Mark 1 and verse 4, it says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. This is for the remission of sins. We'll talk about water in a minute. I guess the writing was too small for me. But yes, we, it was for the forgiveness of sins. Same thing applies to the New Testament baptism. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, it says, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. So again, that similarity is there. That is an important similarity between these two. Now let's talk about water. John's, John's baptism required water. John 3 and 23. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Acts chapter 10, speaking of the New Testament baptism, can any man forbid water that these should, be, should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? So water was essential. Water was important for that to take place. Now, let's talk about the differences because I think that's where really we see the importance of this New Testament baptism in our lives today when we look at these differences. And the first difference is obviously the valid period. As we've talked about, John's ministry, John's baptism was temporary. It wasn't made to last because of its purpose. Its purpose was to point to Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, was resurrected, ascended into heaven, there was really no need to point to Christ after that took place. But when we look at New Testament baptism, we see that it is basically from that day of Pentecost that we talked about, that first gospel sermon, all the way to the end of the world, which is the timeline that we fit into today. So we have a difference in the time period that that was a valid baptism. And as, we've, as we mentioned, that New Testament baptism is something that we need to consider and something we need to think about today because we fall within that timeline. 
Another difference is that while they both have a faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ, it's a different faith. In Acts chapter 19, I'm going to give you a little background on the story here. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is speaking to a group of people who have been baptized of the baptism of John. And what we see is that that these people feel that they are in, in the right. They feel that they are in a good place here. But as John's talking to him, he speaks about the Holy Spirit, and they say, well, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. We don't know what the Holy Ghost is. And we see that he actually teaches them that, and they are baptized again with this New Testament baptism. But I want to think about the faith that's required here by John's baptism. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 4, he says, And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. Again, the purpose was to point out that Jesus Christ was coming, that his ministry was about to begin, that he was about to die for their sins, that he was the Son of God. It was pointing towards that. So they had a faith in something that had not yet happened. When we look at the New Testament baptism, it's all based on the fact that that has already taken place, that that has already happened. And we see in Acts chapter 8, as the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the word of God, and Philip passes by him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, I, how can I understand unless somebody teaches me? So Philip preaches to him, Jesus. And as he's preaching Jesus to him, obviously he's preaching about the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, and he did it for each one of us. He did it for the eunuch. The eunuch sees an opportunity. And the eunuch says, as they were going along, he says, there's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? Obviously, that came up in the conversation, didn't it? But you see the difference. It wasn't the fact that the Ethiopian eunuch was looking forward to something that hadn't happened. He's looking back at something that had already taken place. And that was that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that implemented that new baptism. And he saw the importance of taking part in that. Another thing that we see is a similarity, but in that similarity, we see a big difference, and that's the confession. They both required a confession. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, And they were baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. In John's baptism, it required a confession of sin. When we look at New Testament baptism, it requires something different. And we see that in the same story of the Ethiopian eunuch. As he is about to be baptized, we see his confessions. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Again, John's baptism was looking forward to the cross when this New Testament baptism is looking back onto a Savior that died for our sins. Another difference is that John's, again, was to reveal Christ to Israel, as we've talked about. It says that he might be revealed to Israel. We know to the New Testament baptism makes that available to everyone, and we've talked about that already. But here's where I think we see the huge difference in these two baptisms and how they can impact us today. The first one is, is that when we're baptized, we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, looking back at Acts chapter 19, as Paul is talking to those, that group of people who have been baptized with the baptism of John, 
when they made that decision to be baptized in this New Testament baptism that's backed by the blood of Jesus Christ, it says on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, it was backed by the name of the Lord Jesus. Something that had already taken place, a sacrifice that had already been made. The next difference is that something that John's baptism could not do would be to baptize you into, into Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.26, it says, If we're in Christ Jesus, you are all the sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Another difference is that you're baptized into the body. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So being baptized in the body, you're baptized in the church. You will become a part of the body of Christ, the body of Christ, which is the church. Something John's baptism could never do. You're baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. Again, John's, John's baptism was pointing toward the death of Christ. When we look at New Testament baptism, it's pointing back to something that's powerful that's already happened. Romans 6 and verse 3, he says, Do you not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's backed by something very powerful, the death, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Another difference is that the New Testament baptism gives us access to the Holy Spirit, something, again, John's baptism could never do. Again, looking back at Acts chapter 19, that group of people who had been baptized in John's baptism Paul asked him, he says, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you, when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Ghost, a Holy Spirit. And he says, what were you baptized in? And they said, into John's baptism. If they don't know what it is, how are they going to receive it? But what we see when we look at examples of New Testament baptism is that we receive that. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, as Peter is speaking on that day of Pentecost, he says, he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he tells them. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 32, it says, And we are witnesses to the things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You see the difference? You see how much more powerful this one is? But I think one of the most important things that we find out when we talk about New Testament baptism, and again, something the baptism of John could not do, was make us a child of God. It makes us his children. In Galatians 2, 3 and verse 26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons through God, or of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We become the child of God. Now there's one more sim similarity or difference that I want to talk about this morning, and that was that, and I think it's the most important thing is that while John's baptism pointed to Christ, New Testament baptism is backed by the blood of Christ. And that's powerful. Because he willingly gave himself, being that spotless lamb of God as we talked about, on the cross, allowing himself to be put on that cross, was buried and defeated death and rose on the third day. Why? so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, it says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By that one single offering, by that one sacrifice, we can have access to the blood of Jesus Christ and we can be forgiven of our sins like Peter talks about in Acts chapter two and verse 38. Because Christ is that perfect sacrifice. 
And that blood that was shed on the cross, we can come into contact with that blood when we are buried with him in baptism. What an important and amazing gift that is to us. Now, as we kind of come to the end of this, there's one similarity that I want us to think about for just a few minutes. And this similarity is something that's not necessarily a good thing. And that's that both of these baptisms were rejected by many people. We looked at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7, and we see these Pharisees and Sadducees have come not to listen, not to have an open heart, not to consider what John was teaching, but instead really to try to get rid of him, to try to disprove him, to try to pull people away from him. And they rejected Jesus Christ. It talked about, or they rejected that baptism. In effect, rejecting this idea that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And we see this verse here in chapter 10. It says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. These Pharisees and Sadducees, again, in the eyes of of many Jews, were the best of the best. They were the ones who were supposed to know exactly who Jesus would be. And yet they're listening to John and they're allowing their own selfishness to prevent them from seeing that. And they flat out reject it. They flat out reject the teaching of John, the counsel of God as we talked about earlier. And the sad thing is that there are many people out there today that are doing the exact same thing with that New Testament baptism. Whether it's because they think it's not important, whether they just can't understand what taking a dip in water is going to do for you. Whatever the reason, they they reject the counsel of God. And that's a sad, sad situation. You know, there are a lot of people out there who will look at verses like John 3.16 and they'll pull that out of context and they won't look at any other verse and they'll say, all you have to do is believe. Some will look at verses like Romans 10, 13, where it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And they come up with this idea that all you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart and say this sinner's prayer. But nowhere in the word of God have I ever found it to say that you have to say a sinner's prayer to become a child of God, that you need to ask Jesus into your heart by saying a prayer. And I think we can see examples of, of in Scripture that will let us have a better understanding of what that means to call on the name of the Lord. First of all, I think of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Matthew 7 and 21, it says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see the difference here? Just because we call out to God, just because we say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean that we're going to be saved. What sets us apart here? It's our willingness to submit to the word of God. It says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's what sets us apart. Are we willing to submit to the word of God? Are we willing to search it out and allow it to change our hearts and make a difference in who we are and how we live and the decisions we make? Because when we deny things like baptism, we're not doing the will of the Father. We're not heeding the counsel of God. 
Now, thinking about this idea of calling on the name of the Lord, I want to look at two different examples real quick. And the first one is that day of Pentecost. Again, to give you a little bit of background, Jesus has gone through with the sacrifice. He's died on the cross. He's been buried. He's been resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. Judas has taken his own life. That's all taken place. And now the apostles are meeting together and Matthias is appointed. And what we see is the day of Pentecost is there and they're gathered there and there's an opportunity where thousands of Jews are gathered together and they all speak these different languages, but Peter gets up and he speaks and through the Holy Spirit, he is able to to be able to, to, everyone there, no matter what language they speak, is able to understand Peter And he takes that opportunity and it says he preaches Jesus to them. He preaches to them Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, Peter makes a statement here. And he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The indication here is that those people still did not understand what they needed to do. It wasn't just about getting on your knees and praying to God to come into your heart. There was more to it than that. And we see that because Peter continues to preach to them. And in verse 37 of that same chapter, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They did not know what to do. Calling on the name of the Lord was more than just saying, Come into my heart or saying a sinner's prayer. And in the next verse, we see exactly what Peter tells them to do. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't say, just get down on your knees and say a prayer. There was more to it than that. There's more to calling on the name of the Lord than just asking Him into your heart. And I think we see that from that example. I think another great example that we can look at is Paul's conversion, Saul's conversion. As Saul or Paul is walking down the road to Damascus, this light shines around him. He's struck blind. And Jesus speaks to him. Acts chapter 22 and verse 10, him recounting this, he says, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? Sounds pretty similar to Acts chapter 2 and 38, doesn't it? Or 37. What must we do? Paul says, what do I need to do? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Think about that statement for a second. Paul, a sinner, has just spoken to the Lord, and yet he still has his sin. He has spoken to the Lord and he still has his sin. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, you see the actual account of this happening. And you see that for three days, Paul fasted. He didn't eat, he didn't drink. It says he prayed. But you know what it does? It doesn't say that that's what forgave his sin. Praying did not give him access to that. Fasting did not give him access that he needed. But what we see is that as Ananias comes, Ananias tells him exactly what he needs to do. And in verse 16, Ananias says, And why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. 
That's how we call on his name. It's more than just saying, Lord. It's about submitting to the will of God. It's about accepting the counsel of God. It's about not depending on our heart saying, I don't understand what water is going to do for me. It's about understanding that it's more than just the water. I tell you, there's nothing special about that water. I think I've said this before. Jeffrey does a great job at cleaning that water, but I'm still not going to drink out of it. It's not the water. It's about the willingness to understand that you have a God that loved you enough to send his only son to die on the cross and suffer the pain and shed his blood so that you can be forgiven of your sins, so that you can have hope, so that you can be a part of the body of Christ. And what scripture tells us is that's how we become a part of his church. That's how we become a part of his body, by submitting to the will of God, by being baptized, by hearing the word, by believing it, by repenting of our sins, confessing that Jesus Christ is the son of God and submitting to him in the watery grave of baptism. Kind of makes me think of back to Jesus as he's, asking John to be baptized. And John questions that, and what does he say? We're going to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus didn't question it. He understood that that was the will that God had for him, and he was willing to accept that, and he was willing to do that. And if that's good enough for Jesus, that should be good enough for us to understand that that's the will of God. That's his will. That's his word. That's what he's commanded us to do. Are we willing to accept that? Are we willing to submit to that? That's how we can strive to fulfill all righteousness. You see, that's when Jesus' ministry started, is when he made that decision. And today, your ministry can start. Your service to God can start. You can be a part of, of the church. You can be a part of the body by submitting to him in baptism this morning. And if you've never done that, we encourage you to do that this morning. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with something else in your life, we can pray for you. We can pray with you if you come to the front as we stand and sing.